0: Welcome to Unwarp Reality, a podcast designed to help us see not through but around the looking glass. Our aim is to help unpack the manipulation and bias prevalent in mainstream media reporting. If you're curious for more background, please listen to episode one where we go into more detail on the motivation and goals for this project. You can find it on our Substack or YouTube channels under Unwarp, that's U-N-W-A-R-P, reality. And before I forget to introduce myself, I'm Liz, a cybersecurity specialist, cultural anthropologist, and world traveler calling in from New York City.
1: Okay, nobody is going to believe you that you're a world traveler if you just keep calling in from New York City.
0: Okay, well, I'm just like stuck here for the moment.
1: <laughs> Let's say a former, former world traveler. Former world traveler. Okay, and I'm Becca, a psychologist, leadership coach, and social critic coming to you from Chicago. Great to have you with us. If you want to know a bit more about who we are, please check out the bio page on our sub stack. In previous episodes, we reviewed the way that word choice and selection of information influences perception related to specific events, for example, election reporting or police shootings. In today's episode, we will look at what happens when the media really wants everybody to dislike you.
0: Yeah, exactly. We've got a mean girl situation going on. So um, in the last episode, we talked about how issues relating to race were framed often in a misleading manner. And we took some time to look at how the media misinforms us to reinforce a particular narrative. In this episode, we'll briefly review the deluge of attacks visited upon Elon Musk of Tesla, SpaceX, and more recently, Twitter Renown.
1: Right. And so in today's episode, we're going to see this media spin machine go into overdrive, working hard to influence our interpretation of a specific set of events, in this case, the impending and actual purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk. And as we've highlighted before, part of creating this spin requires not just coloring coverage of the event itself, but also an accompanying desire to influence how we feel about the man involved. In case you didn't get the memo, the purchase of Twitter was another episode of Major Crisis, an attack on the good guys by an evil billionaire. Okay, well, here we go again.
0: Uh, So the coverage itself is kind of pathetic on its face. um, But when you dig into it, it starts to feel almost a bit sinister, especially when you consider what the actual facts are. So. What were the two biggest complaints made by the mainstream media in relation to Musk and his takeover of Twitter? I think the first was that it would compromise free speech and the second that he himself was not a fit steward of a public forum. So we'll take a few moments to unpack both of these ideas. Um, Should we start with the issue
1: of free speech on the platform? Yeah, that sounds good. So free speech on Twitter is part of an ongoing discussion, but let's go back a bit and highlight some points from before Musk even made the offer to purchase the company. In March 2022, he posted a Twitter poll asking if his followers thought that Twitter upheld the principle of free speech. The results were about 70 to 30 that it did not. The fact that he brings up and engages users on this topic and on the platform itself, no less, would indicate that Musk himself probably was concerned about free speech. The next month he offered to purchase the company. And shortly after that, he tweeted, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. I mean, that sounds like a pretty reasonable take on
0: free speech to me and, you know, a sentiment that I would agree with. So um, over the next few months, you know, there was some back and forth about how many bots were on the platform and whether or not the deal would go through. But it was during that time that we started to see a lot of articles talking about how free speech would be undermined and the truth would be twisted. There'd be disinformation everywhere if Musk took over. Yeah, scary. Um, But there wasn't really a lot of evidence presented to support why the mainstream media was really churning this fear.
1: Sure. And a lot of discussion was about whether or not a private citizen should have control of public forums. But what is typically not mentioned was that this had always been the case with Twitter. That is, Twitter has always been a private company that runs a platform where people post their thoughts and ideas for the public to consume. And those who ran that company have always had the authority to determine what ideas were allowed to be shared on the platform.
0: Exactly. So um, what most, including Musk, suspected and what the insiders and left-leaning voices knew was that pre-Musk Twitter had a definitively left skew. And voices that amplified the messages that Democrats and progressives supported were welcome. And those offering alternative perspectives were often silenced. And now that we've seen the Twitter files, this has been shown to be true. So for example, doctors who suggested that masking might not be an effective protection against COVID had their accounts shut down or their tweets removed.
1: Yeah. And in fact, a recent study integrating results across about 75 different clinical trials concluded that masking actually is most likely ineffective. But rather than allow a debate to happen based on evidence, divergent voices from experts not aligned with the chosen narrative were not permitted to be shared with users on the platform.
0: Yeah, so I mean, in reality, what the left and mainstream media were worried about with a Musk takeover of Twitter was, first of all, exposure of just how far they had gone to silence opposing voices, and second, the lack of control to continue doing the same. So, turns out that they weren't really worried about free speech at all. They just wanted to be able to keep that power to make their own voices louder.
1: Correct. And as we've seen in a lot of areas, for instance, with the ACLU, whose whole reason for being is to support free speech, but now only supports such rights for individuals who align with progressive causes, the left and its backers no longer appear to believe in this principle or even understand free speech or its importance. To them, free speech has come to mean freedom for us to force everyone else to believe what we believe. This is clearly not free speech.
0: Yeah, it's not even close. And again, this uh, episode is not (laughs) about the ACLU, but um, just, you know, a sort of a noticeable shift that's happened over the last few years. Um, And just as they and the left and the mainstream media are working to subvert the concept of free speech, like what it means, how we should value it or not, and when we can apply it or not, they're also working hard to shape the narrative around Musk himself. I mean, Seems like mostly they're trying hard to convince us that Musk is a deranged, incompetent narcissist.
1: Yeah, and they're trying really hard. So listen to some of these headlines, mostly taken from the Atlantic as we're trying to lay off the New York Times a little bit in this episode. Why is Elon Musk lighting billions of dollars on fire? Elon Musk's disastrous weekend on Twitter. How Elon Musk could actually kill Twitter. This is what it looks like when Twitter falls apart. Musk hasn't finished his drama yet. Elon Musk has no idea what he's doing at Twitter. Elon Musk is bad at this. Okay, um, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're
0: really working it with those. Um, and you know, I remember feeling like I couldn't turn around without seeing a few headlines criticizing Musk in the months after that purchase went through.
1: Yes, seriously, I feel like if we went and looked at our text chains, there's texts of me texting you about enough already, at least once a day or more, there were emails or headlines talking about how terrible he and the ownership of Twitter was. Yeah, it was really honestly getting ridiculous. But I mean, the other thing is, what exactly was he bad
0: at? I guess they were referencing like when he asked employees to work hard or leave. And I don't know, maybe when he said he would put an end to fully remote work.
1: Yeah. And I think it also, you know, he did lay off quite a large number of the staff and they were also probably thinking a bit about some advertisers leaving and some made up glitches that people claimed were making the platform run slow. Of course, it is upsetting when somebody is going through changes at the office or losing their job. But on face, these actions are somewhat standard when a new executive comes in and needs to clean house. Right. I mean,
0: yeah, (laughs) it happens uh, quite often. But I mean, the other thing is, is it necessarily a bad thing that a boss expects his employees to work hard? And I don't know, is it like horrific to ask people to return to an office? I guess some people might not want to do these things. And of course, they would require, you know, making some adjustments in your life. But if it's really so bad, workers also have a choice to get themselves another job where they can maybe slack off a little bit or something that offers full-time remote. But I mean, I don't know if any of that makes Musk a bad guy or terrible at his job. I I don't think so.
1: Yeah. And of course, we're not in the business of giving CEOs grade reports, but based on his past and current ability at the helm of high-performing companies, it does appear that he knows what he's doing and typically does it well. In all of the predictions of the imminent demise of Twitter as it turned into a dumpster fire under Musk, along with how he wasted billions and was driving the platform into the ground, have not come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, kind of seems like what we have is a platform where
0: instead of anything progressives don't like being removed, we've got people from all parts of the political and ideological spectrum permitted to post their thoughts and ideas. And instead of the powers that be predetermining which idea will win out, people are able to hear, I guess in this case, read arguments from different perspectives and then make their own decisions.
1: Yeah. And that should be our right in a free society. To be clear, we're not trying to advocate that Twitter is perfect or that progressive ideas are bad. The point, again, is to focus on the media spin associated with Musk and his Twitter purchase as a means to control the narrative and retain power. And there's one last article that I just want to bring up. Listen to this headline. Twitter was the ultimate cancellation machine. If the platform dies, how will people find quick justice? So I would heart argue that calling canceling people on Twitter justice is inaccurate, since when is mob rule and ruining someone's life or career, in most cases without even having all or any of the facts considered a good thing? I mean, that's a seriously twisted way to view justice.
0: And I'll be honest, when you first read that, I mean, I thought it was a headline from The Onion or something. No, no, The you Atlantic. Know? Oh, The Atlantic. Well, I mean, yeah, it came across to me like something that would be like mocking this kind of self-righteous Spanish Inquisition style of social interaction that progressive seems to have been leaning into of late. But I mean, to me, this just goes back to the point we've been trying to make about this good guys versus bad guys framing that the media loves, you know, with all the good guys on the progressive side. I mean, come on. We all know there's good guys and bad guys on all sides of any issue. And the media should show a lot more respect for our ability to understand and process nuance and to make our own decisions. And canceling is frankly the opposite of supporting free speech. And it really smacks of vigilantism.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in addition, there is plenty of evidence that many, if not most of those who get canceled are often targeted because of misinformation or misinterpretation of what happened. And historically, we know that there are many cases where mob justice is typically not viewed as justice at all in hindsight.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're you're right, but I feel like we're maybe digressing again. So back to uh, Twitter and Elon Musk and the impending end of the world. Um, just In case you hadn't noticed, none of the predictions have yet to come true. And Twitter appears to be doing just fine.
1: Yeah. And before we close, I just want to offer one final reminder that false narratives are powerful. So I was having a conversation with a friend a while back, and he said something when Musk came up, oh, you know, he ruined Twitter. And I just replied, I think Twitter is fine. And then he said, well, I'm not on it anyway. So what do I know? Exactly. What do you know?
0: Yeah, so that's like a strong opinion that he formulated without even knowing the facts at all. So I guess that's just, as you said, a reminder of why we need to be vigilant when we're consuming information from these sources. We don't want to fall into that trap ourselves, and we should do what we can to help others avoid it as well.
1: Right, exactly, because we don't want to be the people who spread stories from biased media without knowing what we're talking about. That's pretty much classic disinformation. Yeah,
0: but uh, it's hard when it's coming at you from all sides, but because we'll keep pointing it out when we see it. Uh, You know what? Looks like we're out of time for today. So um, I just want to say thank you again to all our listeners and we hope you'll join us next time as we continue exploring ways to unwarp reality. Thank you. Bye. Bye.